0: Matthew chapter 5 is where I'm wanting you to go and join us. We're halfway through a series on eight statements that Jesus makes about the values, about the expectations that he has for the kingdom of God. Eight statements that have requirements for the way that we, that we live, that we think, that are all followed by a promise that God makes to us. If you follow these requirements, there will be a blessing, there is a reward, that will await you. Last Sunday, we looked at two statements. We looked at the first one that said God values the person who realizes that they need God, that they can't do it on their own, that they're, they're flat broke and that they need Him. And that person will have access to all that God is, have access to all that God has available in the kingdom. Unmatched, unlimited resource will come to that person. And so that makes it a little easier to say, I'm, I'm broke, God. I need everything that you have for me. And the second statement was about those who mourn. Those who are sad and, and sorry for their own sin and for the damage that sin is doing in the world that we live. And if, if we are mourning, if, if, if this morning we're sad, then he comes and he comforts us. He, he will meet us personally, bring his promises to bring comfort and relief from the pain and the sorrow that has afflicted our hearts. As one studies these eight statements that Jesus makes, you understand that they're bold. Bold. You, you understand that they're costly, that they're counter-culture. They're, they're not how we tend to think or react naturally. We are raised with statements that run against what Jesus says. How, how often, even from the time we were children, that we've been told, come on, you, you can do it. You, you, just get up. It, it's up to you to make this thing work. Just, just keep trying. Don't, don't give up. Yet Jesus says, you need to come to the understanding that you don't have the strength. You don't have the ability to navigate this life, this faith thing on your own. You need my help, my direction, my wisdom. You need my strength. That's the case for each of these eight statements. They're all difficult. They're all costly. They all make us stop and on, learn what the way we've been raised And attach ourselves to something that's brand new. They're not easy to sell to a self-centered, me-centric culture that that looks out for our personal interests. As I've been working my way through some of these statements, I've been taking notes and I've sat there and I've set my pen down and I've just said, God, what do you expect from me? like these are these are difficult this goes against everything what, what, what more do you want from me what can you expect from me in in, in case you haven't noticed life is already pretty pretty complicated and complex God don't you know that gas is at a $1.71 per liter? Uh, don't don't you know that we've just come through two difficult years of, of pandemic and now they're talking about monkeypox? Um and, and we're we have our eyes on Russia, Ukraine situation. We wonder what's going on there and where will it expand and, and and stretch and we worry about plenty and we sleep less and struggle with family and work and fears and and changes and dangers and situations that To be right out of control, God, what more can you expect of me? What what more do you want from me? How much do you think I have left in me to give? And with that question in front of you and in front of me, let's jump right into the statements that we're going to look at today. We're in Matthew chapter 5, we're we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Jesus is speaking to his newly-mented disciples and a large group of interested people that have gathered around Jesus when he starts to teach these values, the values of the kingdom. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. In some places it says those who are meek, in some places it says God blesses those who are gentle. The original language of the New Testament was an ancient Greek dialect that had a rich and nuanced vocabulary. And when you try to take one word out of that translation and put it into our language of this time and this place so that it's understandable and meaningful for us today, it's challenging to get the full meaning. And so different translations use different words. So the word that's used, humble, is also, as I've said, translated meek and gentle. And all of those words are related, but have enough of a difference to make a difference and, and paint a bigger picture than if, than if you just used one of them. In the New Testament, humility recognizes dependence. Jesus talks about becoming Humble like a child, a, a child dependent on a parent for the very basics of life. So that Jesus says, humble yourself in dependence on God like a child needs and depends on their parents. That's, that's humility. Don't, don't fight for your way. Don't, don't attempt to prove your strength, your knowledge, your superiority. S- settle down. Realize that you can't do it on your own and ask God for his help. As his children, don't assume that you know more than your heavenly father. Adjust yourself to both trust that he knows what he's doing and obey what he requires of you. Knowing that for your best interests, that's at the center of his heart. For all that he says and all that he does in his relationship with you. Assume a a posture where you understand that his way is always better, always superior, always wiser. And so we will just await his instruction for the day, for the situation, and we will carry it out. Then the word meekness. Meekness is introduced in our understanding of meekness is that meekness is weakness just sort of milk toast that sits by and and yet nothing could be further from the truth meekness is is really strength that is is disciplined and under control it's it doesn't barge in on a situation guns blazing it's a it's a strength that is submitted to doing what is right what is helpful what's going to advance the plan and purpose of god it It's sometimes recognizing that we can be a bull. And so when we're in a china shop, don't just let loose, but be under control so that you can do good and not damage and destruction. And and finally, the word gentle is translated and added to this thing called humility. Gentleness is... is is part of the working of the Holy Spirit in my life and in your life. Gentleness adjusts our perspective from demanding answers and results that accommodate me to being concerned for the outcomes and how those outcomes affect those that I care about, those that God has planted me in the midst of. Paul says to the young pastor, Timothy, in his new charge in Ephesus, he says, Listen, Timothy, this is what gentleness looks like when you're helping people as their pastor. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind and gentle towards everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gentleness. So when you have that vocabulary in front of you, there's some things that, that jump out about this call Jesus has for his people, for his disciples, his followers, to be humble. First, humility is a personal decision that I am responsible for. The Disney godmother is not going to bippity-boppity-boo you into humility. She, you have to choose to bow down in humility it's a choice that you make that that you will get your opinions your demands your expectations arguments and point of view your rights and your personal charter of liberties under control and that you will choose to be you will discipline yourself to be a person of humility it's a choice Matthew gives the account of this powerful Roman military officer who is in charge of an area of Israel. And and he has gone out to find Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. And and when he locates the master, he says, Lord, uh, I, I have a young man who is my servant. He's at home and he lies in bed. He's paralyzed and he's in excruciating pain. And and I need your help. He's a young man that's grown beyond his usefulness and now is planted deep in my heart and in my affections, and I want you to heal him. Here's a Roman soldier who has a lot of power, a lot of authority, a lot of ability, and yet he recognizes that this is beyond his ability, and so he goes humbly to look for help and jesus i need your help will you will you heal my my servant and and jesus says that of course i will come to your home i will come and heal your your son but the officer says, I'm, I'm not a person who is here making a demand on your time. I, I understand that you're important and that you have responsibilities that, that are more important than, than I am personally. And so I, will sp- I, I know that if you will just speak a word of healing here and now, my servant who's at home will be healed. I understand how authority works. I have authority. I I can say to my troops, go, and they will go and carry out exactly what I've asked them to do. But I'm also a man that's under authority, and and what my superior's order becomes my agenda, becomes my priority. And, And I am here, and I'm recognizing that your authority is greater than mine. And I'm asking for your help, and I'm asking that you wouldn't come to my home, but just speak healing, and I know that my servant will rise up. This man has it in his mind. He knows. He understands. And Jesus listens, and he said, I'm totally and completely amazed. This man, a Roman, understands faith, and none of you in Israel have faith like this. A man who is aware of his strength, his power, and his authority, but understands his limitation and comes humbly and asks for help, comes for help for his servant. For his servant. People, we have trouble asking for help. Humility is not too proud to admit that we need help. We think that humility is not imposing our needs on others, figuring out life and, and solutions on our own. But, but that can be the picture definition of what pride is. I don't know, need anyone. I don't need God. I don't need you. I can do it on my own. I, I'm more aware and plugged into my own ability, and I don't need you, God. And, and that is pride, and that is one thing that the Scripture says God resists. He pushes back against it and has nothing to do with the proud. He just says, well, as long as you're in that state, I'm going to back away. I'm going to leave you on your own. The word gentle is also used. God blesses those who are gentle. It denotes that this is more than just our interactions with God. In our connection with the people in our world, there is an expectation by God that we will be gentle, we will be kind-hearted, sweet-spirited, self-controlled in our dealing with other people. You see, people are the focus of God's attention, whether you like them or not. Whether you agree with them or not. Whether they hold your values, your positions or not. He has loved, will ever love the world. And those who represent him in the world can't just act as tyrants. Can't just act as bullies or know-it-alls. There must be great gentleness in play. When we're acting and interacting with people. There must be that putting the needs of others at the top of the agenda. Not, not reaching for what we want, what we need first. It's just not his way. He, he, he came not as king of kings, but he came as a servant to serve and to give his life a ransom for those that were lost. Let the same mind be in you. Paul says, that was also in Christ Jesus. He set all that he had aside so that he could serve and give his life. And and finally, there's that word meek that's tied into humility. Blessed are the meek. God blesses those who are meek. If we are casual in our study of this statement, it almost appears that God requires us to back away from anything that seems strong, it, it, to abandon any abilities that we have, to... to. Just be pushed around to run away from talents that we've been given, but be humble, be gentle, be meek. Just, just go where you're shoved. Just, just accept what you were thrown. Just stand and receive all that comes your way like a powerless person at the direction of any old strong wind. But that's not what's being said here. Meekness is strength under control. It's an understanding that God has given us authority, given us ability, given us strength, but it is limited. It is subject to God's purposes, God's plans. Often we walk into a circumstance that is above our pay grade, above our level of understanding, and we have to have the ability to stop and ask for His help and direction before we blow the whole thing out of the water. Have the ability, the humility, the gentleness, the meekness To ask God for his help, his direction, his plan. Blessed are the humble, the meek, the gentle. And then comes the reward. The reward for humility is that we inherit the earth. Big deal. Again, there has to be a deeper meaning than than what it appears to have because if you've seen a newscast lately, if you've read a newspaper or, or done a little bit of travel, who would want the earth as a reward? It's in pretty dire state of disrepair and disaster. My problems are, are legion as they sometimes appear to be are rendered small and insignificant, in comparison to the global crisis that's in front of us today, of all the things that I would want to inherit, the earth isn't on that long list. You you can keep the earth. So there must be a deeper meaning and understanding. Of course, it is that the earth is in a state and shape that God intended it to be. The earth is owned by the Lord and the fullness thereof. And so don't be fighting for wealth. Don't be seeking status and attention. Don't be concerned about your rights, your freedoms, and all that that the general population is fighting for. Instead, in humility and with gentleness and with your strength under control, ask God to lead you and guide you each day to do the work that he is involved in. Ask to be a part of his program, a part of his purpose. And at some point, God will pay you back. God will look after making Sure, that you were rewarded with everything He equipped the earth to have before the fall of Adam. It'll all be yours, a restored earth. Two, two versions that, when, I, when I'm preparing, I read through several versions of, of the text, and two versions that make it a little clearer. The first one is the message. You are blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more no less. That is the moment you find yourselves the proud owners of everything that can't be bought. I I like that one. That's good. But then let me go to uh, the Amplified Bible. Blessed, inwardly peaceful, spiritually secure, worthy of respect are the gentle, the kind-hearted, sweet-spirited, self-controlled, for they will inherit the earth that God intended. I like both of those. Okay, that's a good, that's a good reward. Now, God, I, I, I guess that, that makes sense. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. I, I choose to humble myself. I, I choose to understand that I need his word to speak to me every day. I, I need to pray so that he can speak to me and I can let him speak to me. I, I need his people he, he, he has said that I need to gather together with you so that I can have the full spiritual experience, especially as the day of his return draws near. I, I need those things that he's given to me, and, and if I walk away from them, then my pride has removed me from the blessing of God and from the reward that humility will bring. And so, God, I choose to humble myself. What is it, God? What, what do you want from me? You want humility, gentleness, and ask that my strength would be under control. That's what you want. The fourth statement in verse 6 is even more demanding. Jesus wants us to assume responsibility for our appetites. And to learn to give direction to those appetites. Not only manage my personality, but now to get a hold of the things that I desire. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. I'm a person that not only eats food, but I enjoy food. Enjoy the aroma, I enjoy the taste, the presentation, the texture of food. Stored in my memory banks are meals that I've had years before. Right near the front of my brain, the top 10 meals that I've ever eaten, the 100 best tastes that I've enjoyed. I, I often wake up in the morning salivating for the bread that I had in Jerusalem or the, bre- the roast I had at my mother's table or the fried chicken that Debbie brings to our table or the European chocolate that has been gifted to us by travelers. I wake up hungry and the toast that awaits me neither wipes away that hunger nor does it satisfy I carry that appetite throughout my day. It's actually frightening how much I think about food. I think I can smell Swiss chalet right now. I have a physical condition that leaves me thirsty for most of the day. I'm almost always reaching for a refreshing drink that will satisfy, quench the thirst that, I, that I've had From the moment I wake up, I I carry water with me most of the time because the thirst is demanding and it's almost always present. And, And Jesus says it is important for those who follow me to desire to want the things that are right. The New Living Translation says justice, and other versions use the word righteousness. And, and the thought is, is that there would be a purity of heart, a, an alignment of values, our values in line with God's values, that we would want to be right and do right in the sight of God. But, but Jesus takes that value statement, that, that thing called desire, that thing called want... And he puts the emphasis on the words that describe desire by adding the most powerful words in our language hunger. Hunger for the right things. There's almost nothing more powerful in our lives than hunger. Thirst for all that God has for you, for for the right things of God. Train your appetite to long for what God is serving. The strongest words in our vocabulary that describe yearning and searching for the thing. Hunger and thirst. We we tend to grow up in our lives with very strong likes and dislikes. A, A couple of weeks back, we had a family gathering and David, my son was in charge of preparing the celebratory feast that we were going to have. And he arrived at our home and he had spices for the meat and he had pickled some vegetables and he had special breads and tasty garnishes and it was an incredible meal that we all savored and enjoyed. And I sat there and I was eating and and enjoying it and I was remembering that as a child... There was not much in a vast array of foods that would be on his like menu. I remember that we all might be enjoying a flavor-filled meal, but in order for him to get at least some choleric intake, you had to have a hot dog and some Kraft dinner on his plate, and that's about all he'd eat. That was the size of his appetite. That was the vastness of his palate. But over the years it's grown, over the years it's developed, and it's become richer and fuller, and we get to enjoy that now. And Jesus says, I want you to train your appetite for the things that God wants in your life, the right things that God offers Remember the farm family in the Bible story that Jesus tells that is busy doing what farmers do. They're buying seed and selling crops. They're feeding livestock and taking the eggs and the cheeses and the meats to market. But the youngest son is working hard and thinking, God, there's got to be more to life than this. Just getting up at dawn and working hard Until the sun sets on the farm, he longs for the nightlife, for the thrill of being where the crowds are, the adventure of going beyond the fence line of his home and and to the excitement that ended at the gate of the farm. And and the young man collected all of his inheritance and says goodbye to his family and he heads off to experience the things that farm life was protecting him from it's reported that he he tasted the excitement of riotous living but that when he had gone through the inheritance when he'd spent every dime the people that he thought were his friends suddenly disappeared and he was broke he was alone he was alone and the party had left him bef- behind and and he went through The middle of a famine where there were no jobs to get, there were no friends to look after him, there were no couches to surf on, and so his only rely, the only place that he could make a survival at was at another farm. God always takes us back, always takes us back. But a good Jewish boy working at a hog farm. And, and they didn't have any money to pay him, and so his only pay would be that he could share the food, the slop that was given to the pigs. If you've never been to a hog farm and experienced the sights and the aromas, the menu that is served, then this parable loses lots of its power. But it's in the midst of this particularly poor day of feed that the prodigal wakes up and comes to his senses and says, this is ridiculous. This is this is crazy. My, my father's servants get to eat better than what I have here in front of me. I, I had had it all in my father's table and, and here I am fighting with pigs for slop and spoiled leftovers. I, I will return to the farm of my father as a servant, not as a son. And life will be at least better. I'll have a roof over my head and three squares in front of me. And Jesus says that we have choices. We have choices. We have the ability to develop, to refine our appetites. In this room today and listening to this service online are people who had old appetites, and they've left them behind and adopted new appetites, meaningful and life-giving appetites. Here today are people who had addictions that were threatening their lives, their families. But but, but they trained their appetites to look for something different, something better, to look for the things that God wanted in their lives. They woke up one morning and says, there's got to be more than this. They started having new thoughts about what life could be. They, they started looking for ways to, to move out of broken neighborhoods and away from dangerous relationships. And they, they adopted a new mindset. I, I refuse to live at the bottom of the food chain. I refuse to accept the lowest common denominator as a comfortable place to exist. I want more. I want life. I want to be able to respect myself in the morning. I want to be useful to those who call me family. I want to experience and enjoy life, not just exist in some foggy state through time. And not know, not remember, not be a part of what the timeline has taken me through. Jesus says that if we train our appetites, if we hunger with a great hunger, if we thirst with a a magnificent thirst after the things that he says are right and good and just, then we will find meaning. We will find satisfaction. The, The experiment in living beyond the farm gate was temporarily exciting, but eventually disappointing and devastating full of shame, and not at all satisfying for the prodigal. And again, he has to come to terms with the hunger in his life for more than what he has right now. David, will you come to the keys, please? Jesus says, get an appetite for the right things of God. Make make God's kingdom standards for life to be our personal standards. This is a theme that Jesus would return to over and over and over again in his public ministry. He'd stand up before the crowd and say, Seek first the kingdom of God. And all of these other things that grab your attention and feed your existence will be added at the right time and in the right measurements to your life by God. Or I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat that is planted in the soil... Dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it, and those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor those who serve me. Jesus is pretty forward in what he's saying in this very simple statement that he makes. Those who want more of God, who hunger, who thirst after the right things of God, will discover that God readily responds and satisfies. Nothing else will. It may have bright lights attached to it. It might have some cool sounds that come to it, but it dies out. It gets disappointing. It falls apart. Jesus says the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, to destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich, satisfying life. Paul says, For you've been called to a life and I encourage you to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful old nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, and then you will be satisfied. Those who only live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature, Paul says, but those who live to please the Holy Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Holy Spirit. Peter writes so you must live as God's obedient children don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own appetites and desires you didn't know any better then you were blessed when you have worked up a good appetite for God he is food and drink in the best meal that you'll ever eat that's how the message interprets Matthew 5, 6. We choose the things we pursue. We define what is important and a priority in our lives by where we spend our time, where we spend our resource. What portion of my week, what portion of my energy and resource was spent in going for connection with God this past week? Every week, as we're here in prayer before the service, there comes a, a little thing on my, my phone, and it says, you spent, and so grateful for this, it says on my phone this, this morning, you spent 21% less time on your phone this week than you did last week. That's, that's helpful to sort of know about screen times. What happens when God starts saying, on our screen, this is how much you hungered, how much you thirsted for me last week. Better, more meaningful measurement right now is this. At what level is my life satisfaction at right now? How, how, how satisfied? The, the, the promise is, is that I will be blessed, that I'll by, be nourished by God himself, joyful if my appetites align with his kingdom. If, if that is the case, then I will be completely satisfied. And so the question comes, am I satisfied? A, am, am I happy with where I am in God? If not, then I, it's up to me to move in closer, to build a stronger connection. What do you want from me, Jesus. What, what is it that you want from me? And the answer is that he wants me satisfied completely. The problem is that only when I use my appetite to get to him can that happen. It, it, it can't be on my terms. It has to be on his. It, it can't be what I naturally reach for. It, it has to be obedient to the invitation. Come, follow me. Trust that where I take you, what I add to your life, what I subtract from your schedule, what I say to you and about you, will take you to complete satisfaction. Come, follow me. We're, we're in these eight statements because they're difficult, but they have to be wrestled through. They have to be massaged into the fabric of our being because what God wants us to do is big. What God has for us is, is incredible. And, and right now, I, I feel like there's just so many things that are picking at us saying, listen, don't, don't, don't spend any more time there. Don't, don't commit yourself here. Keep yourself loose and, and, and pretty free because who knows where we're going to end up. And God says, I want you to discipline yourself, to follow, to hunger, to thirst. Does that make sense to you? It makes sense to me. And it's, it's been a pull on my heart. I want you to stand with me. I want you to put your hands out like this. Father, this is my people. This is my church. These are the people that we that we pray over and are concerned for. These are the people that we want to see you fill and use and dispatch to the needy places in our city. These are the people that carry your word, that carry your life, that carry your light. And and God you have so much in store for each one of them. It's not a, it's not a superstar system where, where there's one superstar who shines brighter than the rest. We all carry the light and the life of Jesus. And, and we all go to our own congregations through the week to distribute that life and that light. And I'm asking today, I'm asking today, Father, that you would help us to be humbled, Help us to be gentle. Help us to be meek, strength under control. I I, I pray, God, that we would carry your characteristics, your traits, everywhere we go. That, God, we'd know how to ask for help. We, We would be buried in your word. That we would be connected constantly in prayer. That we would be listening for your Holy Spirit's direction help and guidance throughout each and every day. And Father, I pray that you would help us, that you would help us in so many ways just to train our appetites, our desires, to hunger with great hunger and to thirst with magnificent thirst after what you want us to do. That God, we'd push in closer. That God, we'd listen and hear and be so aware of what you're doing. We love what you're doing in our lives. We love what you're doing in our church, but God, this is only scratching the surface. You've got bigger things. Help us in this training session, this this training time to be ready to prepare for what is ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Bless this people. Give them rest this weekend. Give them insight into what you're doing and what you're saying, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Have a great week.